Namo Tok with the Namo Tassa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Today, I'm going to speak on the topic of fear, and I entitled this talk, Dealing with Fear, Jumping Over the Edge. It's something that has come up in the interviews. Fear is an experience that we are all familiar with. But if there is somebody here in this room who has never experienced fear in her or his life, then please tell me. I would be very interested to meet or know such a person who is free from any kind of fear. Fear can manifest in different forms or different objects, situations can be the cause for fear to arise. There is, for example, the fear of heights or there is the fear of certain creatures like the fear of snakes or scorpions, or mice, or rats, or insects. In our forest center in Burma, once there was an elderly Burmese woman who was practicing meditation there, and one day Mimi and I were talking to her, and somehow we got to talk about fear or um, mice. And so then she had to admit that she had this incredible fear of mice. Actually, she didn't say it that way because even pronouncing the word mouse or mice, she couldn't do that. And so she just said, you know, these animals, um, M-O-U-S-E. Another form of fear is the fear of speaking in public or performing in public, being uh, watched in front of a huge audience. There is fear in relationship, the fear of not being good enough, there is also the fear of death. There is fear of ghosts. And 
And in Burma, fear of ghosts is quite widespread. And every now and again, Burmese yogis report in their interviews that they heard or saw some ghosts in their kutis. And of course, they were quite afraid of it, didn't dare to stay alone there. So, if that is true, then we have many ghosts in Mobi, in the forest center. One form of fear that I was attacked with when I was young, maybe four, five, six years old, I just had this idea that some robbers were hiding below my bed. And if I would walk close up to the bed, I was afraid they would cut off my feet with their knife. And so in order to go to bed from quite a distance, I always had to jump <laughs> on my bed. Then there is the fear of pain, of painful sensations, the fear of sickness, and especially this fear of pain, painful sensations, is a, uh, an object that we also have to deal with during our meditation practice. And then there is the fear of the unknown, the fear of the unfamiliar, the fear of letting go what is known or familiar to us. It's the fear of crossing our comfort zone. For some people, being in the dark causes fear to arise. At night, when it is, when it is pitch dark, they cannot stand it. So, fear, that's a very deep issue, and it's also a very challenging one. So, <clears throat> fears can manifest in different forms, and it can be caused by uh, different objects. So, where does this fear come from, or why do we get afraid? Fear basically comes from our wrong identification, our identification of with something that we think is me or mine. And this wrong idea of me and mine is based on ignorance of not knowing how things really are. And so, as long as there is ignorance, fear is bound to arise. When we get, have the notion of me or mine, then we get automatically the idea of I or ego. And of course, this 
ego is a product of our ignorance. And the ego depends on ignorance to exist and survive. And in order to protect itself, the ego creates many defenses, many uh, reactions, mostly of course unwholesome, and one of these reactions is fear. So when we become afraid, when we are terrified, when we are overcome with fear, the question to ask is not um, what I am afraid of, but where does this fear come from? Why am I afraid? And then go further into it. How does it manifest? How does the fear feel? And we also should ask ourselves, who is afraid? When we say, I am afraid, I am terrified, so then who is that I or where can that I be found or located? As I said, and as some of you have experienced, fear also arises during our meditation practice. The practice of Vipassana meditation is trying to stay present and observe whatever is happening in the body and in the mind. So just to be honest to ourselves and let everything happen without manipulating it. And so we should neither just choose our favorite objects and reject those objects we don't want because they are painful or unpleasant. And so among these experiences, fear is something that can and actually does arise. And therefore, we also need to observe fear. It's not by shunning the fear or running away from it that we are able to overcome it, but it is only with carefully and attentively observing it in order to understand it. This understanding of what fear is, why there is fear, or who is afraid, this understanding is needed to finally transcend it, or to overcome it. Fear, in the Buddha's teaching, is an aspect of dosa. Dosa, as you know, is one of the unwholesome roots. Dosa is anger, aversion, resentment, ill will. So fear is an aspect of aversion. 
the other unwholesome roots are loba, which is greed, attachment, craving, wanting, desire. And the third one is moha, ignorance, not knowing, delusion. So, fear as an aspect of aversion. Aversion, anger, hatred, that is aversion striking out. So when we are angry, when we are upset, then normally we react with angry actions of body or speech or mind. So we shout back angry words at the other person or we hit the other person, um, we shoot at the other person. That is aversion striking out. Fear as an aspect of aversion is aversion contracting within, of pulling back, of not lashing out, but just pulling within, uh, pulling back. So, as fear can and does arise also during our meditation practice, we have actually a very good opportunity to look closer at fear, to observe it. And also, with the practice of meditation, then we can go further and look or see how we can go beyond this limitation of fear. Because when there is fear, somehow there is always a limitation or it's like we are confined in some space. It's a prison. And this confinement, this limitation, is our comfort zone where we feel comfortable. Our comfort zone uh, exists in regard to this body, to bodily sensation, to the mind, to thoughts, to emotional state. And so when we come to the edge or to the boundary of what is comfortable, of what we are familiar with, then fear arises as a defense reaction of the ego. And as we also know from our own experience, so when fear arises, our habitual and ingrained reaction is mostly one of pulling back, of running away, of turning away the face from what causes us fear, from stopping the practice from giving up. We don't want to deal with that which is so frightening. In the meditation practice, let's take the example of an experience of pain. So this pain may be manifested as aching or numbness or pulling or pressure or heat, etc. So this 
is the actual experience. It's either pulling or aching or very hot. And when we have some degree of mindfulness and concentration, and when we look at this painful sensation, then we come to see that these bodily sensations of pulling, of heat, of aching, that they are actually uh, changing all the time. They are in a flux. Or, let's say there is a difficult emotion. That's the experience. It feels uncomfortable, Uh, insecurity arises, and to have this difficult emotion is distressing. That's the experience. Or outside of meditation retreat, there is the fear of death. So, if these experiences, physical pain, um, mental anguish, or the fear of death, if that experience gets too strong, too intense, and, as I said, the mind reacts with fear. It's a contracting within, a pulling back, pulling back from the actual experience. So, rather just to run away, to avoid fear, to work with the fear is an essential part of the meditation practice. We cannot avoid it, we cannot get around it, we, there is no short, shortcut to avoid it. So, the only way to overcome it finally is to face it. You know, I'm sure if the Buddha knew an easier way to deal with fear, I'm sure he would have told us. So, we can look at our own meditation practice or our life in general. So, where are our limitations? Where is our edge? Where is our boundary? Again, let's look at physical pain because it's such an obvious example and one that most of meditators are familiar with. So, physical pain is uncomfortable, it aches, it hurts, it burns, and because of that physical pain, the mind reacts with dislike, with anger, with frustration. And on top of that, then the mind, the ego, um, comes up with all sorts of justifications why observing this pain should really not be done because it harms our legs, it harms our health, it's not good for the body, etc. 
And so, very few beginners in meditation would voluntarily want to observe pain or painful sensations. And so, it needs much encouragement from the teacher to face it, to deal with it, to be patient with it. And it also needs the assurance from the teacher that observing pain is, in most of the cases, not damaging your body or uh, causing severe ill effects on your health. So, when the meditators finally are willing to open up more to that which is painful and uncomfortable, they make their first experiences with pain. For example, just be a bit more patient with the pain and observe it and stay it. Then, coming to realize that pain actually can disappear again, that it dissolves by itself. It's not that pain only disappears when we change our posture or do something else, but just by patiently observing it, it can and does disappear or dissolve again. And so, having such a first experience with pain, this strengthens their confidence and also makes the courage, courage bigger to uh, stay more or longer periods with pain. And once they can do that, many meditators, uh, including myself, can make very amazing, astonishing um, experiences, things that they would never have uh, thought of that would be possible. It's more interesting than anything else in the world, than just to probe into pain and uh, see how it actually is. Pain is not that big monster that we usually think of it. And learning to deal with pain in the meditation practice can also be a great help and support to deal with pain or unpleasant situations or sensations in our daily life. For example, if we get sick or have some chronic pain, then it's only beneficial when we have already gained some understanding on the nature of pain. A few years ago, in the forest center in Mobi, in Burma, Mimi and I did our uh, usual walk at night through the compound of the center just to check on the yogis and see if everything was alright. And so as we were walking along the path, talking to each other, all of a sudden I felt 
this very sharp, very intense pain in my toe. And my first reaction was just to shake my foot. And after that, I looked down to see if it was a snake or a scorpion that I was bitten or stung by. But I couldn't see anything. The creature had already run away or disappeared. So then I was left with this incredible sharp and burning pain in my foot, in my toe. And looking at it, and then I saw there was just one mark. And so I concluded it must have been a scorpion, not a snake. Otherwise, there would have been two marks. And so we went back to the room, and I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, pain, but after 10 or 15 minutes, it will ease off. So just observe it, be with it. And so I did, but still after 10, 15 minutes, the pain didn't get less. It was intense as at the very beginning. And okay, I thought, okay, let's wait and see. But Mimi got a bit anxious and she thought, you know, if it's really poisonous, deadly, and if you're going to die, so what can we do? You know, should we go out and see a doctor? Or But it was already past eight o'clock and uh, then she had the idea that a friend of ours, a Burmese woman, who every year comes to meditate, she is a doctor, and so Mimi went to the office and called her and explained what happened and asked what we should do. And this doctor, being also a meditator herself, she said that there were two possibilities. One was to take some painkillers just to get relief from the pain. And the other one said to observe the pain. <laughs> and so I went for the second option. In all my years of practicing meditation, I had had to deal with quite a lot and quite strong pain. So I thought I was well prepared for it or um, reasonably strong to observe this pain. So then I just observed the pain. Pain, 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 pain. And, you know, even the strongest forms of pain that I had experienced in meditation were nothing to that pain. It was quite amazing. <laughs> and so sometimes it was just too much to really be face to face with it. And so then I resorted to do metta meditation. Just to relax the mind a little bit. But of course the pain was still there very strongly. And then after that I would go back. Pain, 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 pain. And what I noticed was that in the meditation when there is really very strong and severe pain and 
even though you are really willing uh, to observe it. Sometimes when it's getting so strong and excruciating, then during the meditation practice, sometimes the body just moves half a millimeter in order to get away from this very sharp edge of pain. Then you would continue to observe it. But with this pain, this thing from the scorpion, I could not do that. Even if I moved my leg or my foot around a little bit, there was no even little relief of that pain. So one hour, two hours, three hours, and then it was after 11, of course my mind was full awake, alert, and by that time, after facing this pain for about three hours, then I started to realize that my mind wanted to faint. Probably just a natural reaction of the body if confronted with too much pain. And so, when I realized that, I turned my attention to that, the wish to faint, to just get away from it. And so I noticed the mind, because I said to myself, I want to go through this experience fully conscious. And so then eventually the desire to faint passed away and went back to the pain another hour or so, and then it was past midnight, then finally I felt how the pain was getting a little bit less, a little less. But it was still so strong, there was no way that I could fall asleep. And it was until about four o'clock in the morning that I was with that pain, and by that time, it uh, got less to that degree that finally I fell asleep. But then, after a few hours, I woke up again. The pain was still there, terrible, and it was by the afternoon of that day that it finally had completely gone. So, that was quite an interesting experience, I thought. When the Buddha addressed sick people, he used to ask them, even though your body is experiencing all these painful feelings, can your mind be at peace? You can ask yourself, when you are sick or when there is strong pain in the body, at that moment, can your mind be at peace, stay calm? It's also a possibility for us, but it needs training and lots of practice. When I first went to Burma to practice meditation, I was staying in the center in Yangon because 
At that time, the forest center in Mobi was not yet opened. So, practicing for four or five months at a time, and then taking rest, uh, helping a little bit in the dining hall, starting to learn Burmese. And at that time, there was a very old Sayadaw staying in the center. He was one of Jami Sayadaw's teachers, and so, you know, he was staying there and people took care of him. He was quite old and his health was not so good. So, every now and again, when there was an opportunity, Mimi and I went to pay respect to him and offer him maybe some juice or some biscuits, whatever. And his health deteriorated and he was not very healthy and quite weak and he was also quite skinny. And so one day when we went to pay respect to him, um, the lay attendant said that he yeah, was not really not uh, feeling well, uh, that he was lying on his bed, but that he could come in. And so that Sayadaw, his name was Kokowa Sayadaw, when he heard or saw us coming in, he made an effort to sit up in the bed, in the bed. And obviously, it was not easy for him to sit up, and we quickly said that it was all right that if he was lying down. But he made this big effort to sit up, and then sitting on the bed, looking at us. His eyes were just shining, radiating, and his face was really serene and peaceful. Although it was obvious his body was not well, but his mind was not affected by his sickness or by his illness. So, when there is pain, then we need to differentiate uh, different kinds of pain. We cannot work with all kinds of pain in the same way. There is pain as a danger signal. So for example, if you put your hand into a fire, then what you should do is to pull your hand back to take it out. So it's not meant that you go and observe that pain. When I was about five or six, I remember my mother was at the door talking to a neighbor and I was in the kitchen and I wanted to check if the stove, an electrical stove, um, was still hot or not. So to check it out, I put these two fingers on it and immediately withdrew them because it was very hot and I burned my two fingers. Then 
there is the pain of accumulated tensions in the body. And this kind of pain is not the problem to observe in the meditation practice. So when you feel tensions or stiffness or hard knots in parts of your body, then this kind of pain should be dealt with by observing it, by facing it, by looking carefully at it. And if you are able to face this kind of pain without fear, then an amazing opening and release of these accumulated pains or tensions can take place. Sometimes through the practice of meditation, people who are afflicted with some kinds of diseases, even chronic illnesses, as a side effect of the meditation practice, uh, these sicknesses uh, are cured. In the Mahasi Meditation Center, the late Venerable Mahasi Sayadaw, he collected many stories from meditators who reported that through the practice of meditation they got cured from a whole variety of diseases. And these diseases, they include high blood pressure, gastritis, heart problems, even tumors, um, and asthma or arthritis. So many things have been overcome just by the practice of meditation. This is due to the fact that during the practice of Vipassana meditation, certain mental factors get developed and strengthened and there is a set of seven factors and they are actually called the seven factors of enlightenment because they need to be present for experiences of enlightenment to happen. And these seven factors of enlightenment they are also considered to be medicine. In Pali they are called Pojanga. And the Pojanga Sutta uh, is actually that Sutta that is recited when people are sick, overcome with some illnesses. So these factors developed through the practice of Vipassana meditation have a healing effect not only on the body but primarily of course for the mind so these medicine the factors of enlightenment finally releases from the mental suffering namely from greed hatred and delusion and when our minds are completely cured, then physical illness or physical pain is not a problem anymore. 
then we do not suffer from that in the mind. Maybe some of you have heard or know that even the Buddha, after he had become fully enlightened, uh, sometimes had pain in the back. Sometimes he got a headache. So, even fully enlightened persons are still subject to physical pain, but they do not suffer from it mentally anymore. So, how we relate to physical pain can show, it, can show us a lot of how we habitually react to unpleasant and uncomfortable situations in our lives in general. Do we have an ability to face and to stay with that which is unpleasant? Or does the mind just habitually react with anger, aversion, or fear? Sometimes meditators come to the interview and ask if observing of pain is not some form of self-mortification, of torturing yourself. Actually, it's not, but observing pain is a means of understanding the nature of pain and also come to understand our mind in reaction or in re relation to that pain. Pain, physical pain, is quite a coarse object, quite distinct. And because it is so distinct and coarse, at least in the initial uh, stages of the practice, it's a very distinct and clear object. So it's easy for the mind to focus on it, to stay with it. And so with that, when the initial fear has been overcome, when there is some courage to really stay with it and face it, then one comes to a deeper and better understanding uh, of what is pain. And this family, um, becoming familiar with pain, with what is unpleasant, is needed to make our mind stronger and actually prepare it to face the more subtle forms of mental pain and anguish. So if we think that physical pain is really strong and excruciating, later on in the practice, when our practice becomes more refined, more subtle, then we will touch very unpleasant and mentally painful states. And so to be able to stay with that mental anguish or mental pain, this preparation of having observed 
physical pain is necessary and helpful. Another form where fear arises is because when we have made the experience of strong pain arising, then when we do another sitting meditation, when just some slight we then the mind already creates um, the scenario of how this pain will get stronger and excruciating and so then there is no strong pain at the moment but the mind is already overcome with fear fear of the anticipated pain. Of course, this scenario of how this um, unpleasant sensation will get stronger and very painful and then all the damaging effects, of course, this scenario is only made up by our ego, the defense reaction. The ego doesn't want to come in contact with that, it pulls back, it wants to get out of it. Jamie Sayadaw very often tells the meditators not to be afraid of pain, but rather to make friends with the pain, because, as he says, pain is the key to the door of Nirvana. As I already mentioned, with the observing of pain, we can really get very deep and profound understanding, not only of the nature of the physical pain, but also of the mind, when we have to deal with the reactions in the mind, like dislike or frustration that comes up, or anger, or fear. So, when we come to uh, terms with pain and deal with it, and also deal with our mental reactions to it, when we can stay and face the fear in our mind, then we see that fear it's just another fleeting experience. It arises because there are some causes there. We observe it, but then we also can see it dissolving again, disappearing again. And with that observing of especially the mind, the mental reactions, we also get to understand the nature of that which observes the nature of the mind or the consciousness, the observing mind or the noting mind. And so we see that consciousness is just knowing the object. It's like a mirror. 
a mirror just reflects what comes in front of it. The mirror doesn't react to the object, it doesn't get angry at the object, it doesn't hold on to the object, but there is just a reflection of the object in the mirror. And so is the consciousness. It just knows there is an object, be it the pain, be it the fear, be it the frustration. The consciousness itself does not react with anger, does not react with fear, does not hold on to the object if it's uh, a pleasant one. There is no judgment at all. It's not differentiating between oh, a good uh, object or a bad object. It just knows the experience or the object as it is. So this understanding can really bring light into the dark corner of our mind and heart, uh, lessen our ignorance a little bit, or lift the veil of ignorance. And with this better and deeper understanding, also our fears get less, because we just see through this tricky thing called ego coming up with all sorts of defenses, of reactions. And so then next time we get a little bit of fear because of something, then we readily can recognize, ah, it's just fear. It's not something to be afraid of or to run away from. Fear can be faced in the same way as an itchy sensation can be faced, or as rising and falling can be faced. Another kind of fear is naturally uh, occurring during the practice of vipassana meditation. Actually, one stage of insight is called the insight knowledge of fear. After the arising and passing away of phenomena has been very clear, that's one of the insight knowledges, then the mind only sees the disappearance of the object a very rapid and fast disappearance of the object. Whatever object is there, the mind cannot see anymore the arising of the object, but just the disappearance. There is this constant mass of disappearance, every object just disappearing, disappearing, disappearing. And because of this disappearance, this constant disappearance, the mind naturally reacts with fear because objects constantly disappear, the mind 
had nothing to hold on anymore. So nothing lasts for even some seconds, seconds, but instantaneously disappears, disappears. And so the mind becomes very terrified and the reaction is fear. For most of the meditators, that's quite a surprise to have these pangs of fear arising and not actually knowing what caused this fear because it's not the ghost, it's not, it's not the mouse or a snake or anything that normally causes fear to arise but they just get uh, uh, overwhelmed by terrifying fear. For them it's not obvious or they cannot intellectually grasp that this constant disappearance is actually causing the mind to react with fear. So although this experience is quite an unpleasant one, but it's necessary to go through it. Only when we really go through it by experiencing it can we make further progress on our path to freedom. And because that's such a difficult stretch in our meditation practice, we need the guidance of a good and experienced teacher who can navigate us through this rather dark patch of the path. Because if we would just be for ourselves, um, the ego, the I, would shrink back from that terrifying experience, thinking that we are on the wrong path, that we are doing something wrong. So we need the support and guidance of the teacher telling us to go on. Some people are even afraid of spirituality of a spiritual path because the ego doesn't want um, the ego doesn't want to be discovered as actually non-existent it fears that this whole illusion that the ego makes up and tries to defend it fears that this whole delusion is revealed so the ego, the I, sees a spiritual path as its death. And it's right. But of course, the ego never really existed from the start. But it's just because of the psychological forces and our ignorance that this whole idea or construct of an ego behind this all has come to be. And so the ego is afraid to be revealed as the charlatan that it actually is. And that's why quite a number of people are afraid to meditate because they are afraid 
um, to find something which they might not like because they are afraid of having to deal with uncomfortable things to deal with fear but this is actually the whole point to deal with this fear to deal with this limitation to realize where we have set our boundaries and to see where we are confined, imprisoned and to learn to widen these boundaries to face the fear, to make steps into the unknown to deal with that which is fearful, which is unfamiliar with that which is unknown. So the only way to overcome fear is by facing it, by directly um, looking at it, by really understanding it. If we do not come to an understanding of what fear is, we will be driven by it for the rest of our lives. Fear seems one of the last barriers of the ego. And this is why when we meditate in a Buddhist context, we take refuge in the Triple Gem, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. This act of taking refuge in the Triple Gem gives us protection. So when we give ourselves into the hands of the Buddha, then we are safely held in his palms and then nothing can hurt us. We are not um, in danger. And so with this kind of inner assurance, then we have, to, we have the courage to jump over the edge. So may all of you have the courage and the inner assurance to deal with fear, to come to understand it, to completely transcend it, and become fully enlightened. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.